Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. And we are joined by a very special guest, author, and... Uh, also a papichulo. Yes, but like a Nigerian papichulo. We need like a new term um, for, you know, papichulos mm. from other communities. Like That's so funny. Like what would the papichulo be in Nigerian culture? I mean... Also, prob- this is Tochi. Tochi on your Hi, y'all. I mean, we would probably just call him a Yoruba man. A Yoruba man. Oh, <laughs> the shade. Oh. The shade. I love the shade. It's already <laughs> <laughs> the shade is already here. I love it. Um, and today we're going to talk about worlds. And Tochi creates such wonderful worlds in his work. And so we wanted to really do a deep dive on what makes for a good world. Um, what are the ingredients for world building? What are worlds that we want to live in? Yeah. So tell everybody about your latest books. Yes. Okay, so my latest book, uh, War Girls, came out October 15th. Make sure you go cop that. Um, it take, it's set in a futuristic Nigeria, so Nigeria in the year 2172. Uh, and this Nigeria is in the midst of a civil war. Uh, Biafra, which is this republic in the southeast portion of Nigeria, is trying to secede. And the story is about these two young sisters who live in this sort of uh, refugee camp uh, in Biafra who are separated when their camp is attacked and basically placed on opposite sides of the war and complications ensue. And it's so great because there are things that I know from history, right, that Mm -hmm. you're taking and playing and putting in the future that make for a brilliant read and then all of the cool technology yeah. which like which we're going to get into sort of how you did that um, but first let's talk about worlds that we love mm. what are some worlds in books tv film that we just really really love that we could find ourselves living there living in you know it's hard for me because everything all the i was looking back at all the tv shows and stuff that i love and i'm like well I love Supernatural, but they're always in danger. <laughs> right. I love Arrow, but he, someone's always trying to kill him. Yeah. Um, and so everything that I love is vigilantes or people fighting. Uh, and nobody. What does that? Say, <laughs> what does that say about? What does that say about you? Like that's, I just like to fight. You just like to. Or fight. if you're just a civilian in those places, you like to <laughs> yeah. see other people fighting, which is you're just really messy. I'm a voyeur. Messy, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a bi- messy bystander. Peeking around the peeking around the building to see Arrow getting into it with like a. You're right. like ooh. Yeah, or I'm just like trash because he just does all those salmon letters. Uh, yeah. For 25 percent of the TV show. Anyway, I also love uh, in YA I found myself rereading uh, The Folk of Air which is the Holly Black the most recent Holly Black trilogy which uh, ends tomorrow I know so I'm going to wait until midnight to listen to that audiobook Uh, and and I I don't know if I could survive in fairy but I would definitely want to live there and get into trouble and like be fucked up eating like mushrooms (laughs) And, and like, being in, like, fairy orgies and stuff like that. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, or you could just go to San Francisco. Right, you could. <laughs> but fairies don't smell bad. That's true. Oh, that's true. Right, but yeah. like, it's canonical that fairies just smell like grass and butterflies. Mm. So, uh... <laughs> oh, my 
my God, we've already gone down a dark path. It's okay. When I, I asked Holly this question at her New York launch of the second book, um, could she survive her own world? And she said no. And you're like, oh, I'm ready. Like, I'm well, ready to go I'm, I'm into Holly Black's. I'm the intent of not surviving. <laughs> I'm creating my own fairy world for Wayward Witch, the third book and Bruja book. And I don't think I would survive that one either. But my, my, my fairies are like party fairies. They're like. You're here for a DTF, good time, yeah. not a long time. <laughs> I see. So you want to go to Ferry. Yeah, I want to go to Ferry. I would also like to go to Orleans to, like, get Mm. a a little tiny elephant and have have the bells uh, work on you. Work on me. (laughs) I think I could survive my world. I think you would just enjoy yourself. Yeah, I just, like, I love, I think I love worlds that are beautiful, have a lot of magic, uh, and have a little bit of danger. Right. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Tochi? Where do you want to be? So I do love. I had an answer for this, but I'm going to change my answer. Okay. The world that I would love, love, love to live in would be the world of Assassin's Creed Unity. <laughs> oh, what? Yo, so, Assassin's Creed and Inquisition Spain. So it's every game is set in a different oh. time period. So, and Unity is set during Revolutionary Era France. Okay. okay. And it's set in Paris. Okay. So you also like danger. Yo, so, okay, so here's oh the thing about God. Revolutionary <laughs> Era France is, so they, they still had all these colonial holdings, right? right. Uh, especially Saint-Domingue. But what was fascinating about that period in time was that you also had a huge abolitionist movement that was like much more successful there than in other uh, colonial empires. So there were, like, if you look in the 1830s and 1840s, for instance, there were French lawyers who were arguing in court for the freedom of slaves in French colonies and winning. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, uh, uh, an owner, a master would have their slave, like, brought with them to Paris, you know, to conduct some business and whatnot. They're free. And they're free. And and you would have these court cases, like, within the French judicial system happening. Like, people were taking on Big Sugar. Like, they were going up against the Big Sugar lobby. (laughs) There was all types of really, really, really dope shit happening. Which we don't hear about. Which we don't hear about. Right. But right. like all in America of, we just hear about like Yankee Doodle. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And like Napoleon. Like mm-hmm. that's that's it. But all this really dope stuff was happening in the in the background in the context of this particular video game. But would you want to be yourself as you are now going back to that time? Because time travel for people of color mm-hmm. is tricky, right? It, we talk about because Outlander is. is a a world that I love. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trying to be going back in time as a black lady. I would be in a brothel. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I would succeed. You would. You would run the brothel. I would run the brothel. Well, like so. That's God. Well, like so. In in basically English speaking history, there is no real good time to be a person of color. Exactly. There's just it's just it's just it's just fucking horrible all the time, right? But like there are I think there are periods in time and if you if you look sort of outside that scope right, right so right. you you know you can go back to ancient African kingdoms right? right you could go to Egypt like all types of really fascinating stuff is right. happening in those places right so just as long as you don't center 
you know, English-speaking places, right, right. you know, all types of possibilities yeah. open up to We're, you. Like, right. Alexandre Dumas was, and potentially is, the most famous French writer That's right. ever. Yeah. Like, no shade to Victor Hugo, but like... Yeah. He, just a little. I mean, just, just a little bit, yeah. Un petit. Un petit peu. Un petit peu. But like, he he lived his life. His dad was like a general in the French army. Right. So there are very interesting contexts temporally, right. geotemporally that you could exist in as a person of color. Right. If you just like don't fuck with the U.S. Right. And steer clear of certain yeah. places. Basically, uh, the, time travel. Basically the places that are really fucking themselves up politically right now, like yeah. between 45 and Brexit. That's like, right. It's just, just stay away from there. Yeah. Stay away from <laughs> There. Yes, and so that's interesting that uh, Assassin's Creed, because all we know, obviously, mm-hmm. as non video game, game, the yeah. video game, mm-hmm. I just know the Michael Fassbender the, movie. Yeah, because. Which was fucking awful. Look, I will watch anything that he's in. Oh, absolutely. So. Same. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm Fassbender Hive. Yes, yeah. exactly. But it was particularly bad. <laughs> but I, yeah. I don't want to go back to that world mm. at all because also, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. The plague. I would be considered. A I would more, still go. I would. I, I would be, be interested. Dead. I would be interested in going to 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 historical places because I want to see. I want to see the ancient Incan kingdom. kingdom mm. But you can blend in, bitch. Yeah. No, I couldn't. <laughs> a little bit. You, a little bit. <laughs> Not even a little bit. That's funny. Wait. So so break that break that down for us. Like yeah. why wouldn't so like what would that dynamic look like? Uh, going back, mm-hmm. I think it's because uh, for me, you know, having that ancestry, like I don't, I don't know my 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 great grandmother mm-hmm. on my, or I never knew them on my dad. She's an Incan princess. Uh, don't be fooled. And, and like, <laughs> okay. I believe it. And, and, yeah, and it tracks. Seeing, seeing like the like the racial differences in my family, um, I and I believe like a lot of Latin America is like you're made up of three things like indigenous black and Spaniard mm-hmm. um, and so in my family we have all three of that but uh, my DNA profile comes up as like 60% native and I'm like mm. I have never even seen pictures of these women because they're all women right mm-hmm. right the men are the Spaniard ones right so which I also found fascinating mm-hmm. Um, and power so, dynamics, and like, mm-hmm. and, for, and I've always been fascinated with this, with the region, not only because like I am from Ecuador, and it is like the music and, and like all of that is in my blood, but they don't. My education was really stunted. Like mm-hmm. I got to learn about Guayas and Kill, who like fought against their their um the city being overrun by Spaniards, but then I moved to America and started learning not the same things like that all those histories were uncovered um and all of the all of the texts that i have been able to find including when i went to ecuador and i went to like i my my father is at the university uh he teaches math boring and (laughs) and like i i was i asked for for texts of of the Incan Empire and everything was written by like journals of a priest, mm. you know, and that you know there's that adage of like who who writes history, right? Like the victor writes history, so right. there are no true documents like that show us, and we don't, we don't have a, a, a high fantasy Inca thing, like we don't have a, an Inca Wakanda, right? Like. We don't have any of these things to make it like look magical and and retell. We there was only that Mel Gibson movie 
uh, oh, a, what was it like, apocalypto or like something where, like that? Right, yeah, where, awful. Where, where people get wrong that the Aztecs weren't just these like heart ripping mm-hmm. kinds of people. Like that's that's like something that's incorrectly been perpetuated. There's been so many lies told about about the the, the ancient kingdom, the ancient mm-hmm. kingdoms um, in Central and South America. Yeah, and so it, you know, I would love that. I would love, love to go, to go back see. That, even though they would look at me and be like, what's this curly hair, what is this? Yes. <laughs> it would be fascinating, and I would want you to stay alive. So. Um, That's fine. I would just find a, the, 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 the tallest Inca warrior right. and, and hook up with him. And get down to business. Get down to business. <laughs> um, a world that I would love to go to is Bardugo's Ketterdam. I just want to see it. I'm not going to survive these mean streets. (laughs) I know I don't have what it takes Mm -hmm. to survive any of Bardugo's worlds, but I want to see it. Is it Biddy Thomas, Down These Mean Streets? Down These Mean Streets. (laughs) Like, the mean streets of Ketterdam, I don't have what it takes, but I would want to see it. Mm. Because... I'm fascinated. I would want to be one of the Grisha. I would want to have, you know what I mean, be yeah. in one of the guilds. Like, I would, yeah. I would want to do that. You don't have to wait very long because, you know, the Netflix show is going to come. Yes, mm-hmm. which I'm very I'm excited so about. Happy. And that's also, that's also a, a duology that I go back to reread because of the way that Lee builds fantasy worlds. Yes. Um, I love the Grisha trilogy, but with Six of Crows, she just leveled up in a way that I was like, oh, so this is how you keep getting better. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? Because as writers, it's not enough to just be like, oh, I have another book deal. It's, I have another book deal, and I have to do better than the last time. Yeah. That's right. And, and continue to... Because com- otherwise, it's not... Otherwise, what's the point? Right. right. What's to complicate your models? world building mm-hmm. and, to, and to really, really push. Yeah. And to get more thoughtful about it, too. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because how do you... how Within the first... In the first two chapters, she establishes this mysterious thing that something's wrong in the kingdom with, like, magic and, and a drug... And then you get the inner machinations of the society that Ketterdom is, Kazbrecker's crew, mm-hmm. and you see it all from the point of view of a girl who used to be, um, who was in a, who's a slave in a brothel, yep, um, and has has transformed herself, and now she is she's like a shadowy figure that like moves very seamlessly through Kaz's team and in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so her, her Inej as a character is really fluid, um, not just because she can like climb these walls, but because of the way she moves within her own crew. And uh, I thought that it was really beautiful, like seamless, the way that we 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 get all that information, but it it's it's a brawl, it's a shootout. That and I think that is a fascinating contrast or point of contrast mm-hmm. to a lot of the old like high fantasy yes. like Robert so, Jordan Wheel of Time, yeah, which I love. Because we're going like, into the hate. Exactly. Let's go into the lukewarm hate world. Yeah, but like I think part of it, it's not so much that I that I hate the world of the Wheel of Time. It's just that it has this thing that it where it'll you know it'll start the world building in those types of books start with like a bird coming down from the mountains and it's this lush description of like the valleys that it's flying through and the villages that it's going over and like that's how you that's the perspective from which you get introduced into the world sometimes it won't even be a whole ass bird it'll just be a feather that the wind takes through all these locales that will someday be important to the reader right it's like Tom Robbins like it's like and then this the the life and journey of like this, this coin that fell down 
and then ended up in our character's pocket. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Yes. And it's interesting contrasting that with what Lee's doing in her books, which right. is you have a character immediately and you have stakes that are established and you have this immediate conflict that also, like the progression through that ends up also unveiling world di- like like larger world dynamics and she ties character to world in yes. a very interesting way that when i read the old guard i can never i'm like you are here sort of jacking off about the world <laughs> and you care less about the character there's so much throat clearing that's right and i'm like can we just get to it and maybe it's my tolerance for it is lower because it's retreaded constantly the same sword and sorcery medieval European norms, culture, codes over and over again. And so I don't have a lot of tolerance for it anymore. It's like, it's like you know, if you have a steady diet of basketball the way that it's played today, and then you go back and watch when it was like all white dudes who didn't know how to dribble and shit. And it's just like limbs flailing. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're like, no, this <laughs> shit is shorts. for the birds. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, give me LeBron. Exactly. You can't, like, I can't tolerate it anymore. And when I was a young kid reading books from my dad's shelves, my dad is a sci-fi fantasy He was one of the only, he was like, you know what? I was like the only black kid reading these books in the 70s. (laughs) Isaac Asimov, um, you know, Tolkien, Dune, Frank Herbert, all of them, real time, all of that. And so I'm pulling those books off of his shelf (laughs) when I'm starting to read. Like the first big book he gave me to read was The Hobbit, and I was probably in the fourth grade. Yeah. (laughs) And so he gave me these texts one after the other, and then Dune when I was in like eighth grade. Yeah. And I guess it's hard. Yeah, Dune is hard, but there's something that I love about it because I read it early. (laughs) Now I can't reread it without being like, oof. But I guess I'm like, what does sword and sorcery look like in brown communities? Looks like Black Leopard Red Wolf. Right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I'm looking for that. And maybe I'm tired of, and I sort of hate those worlds now, where Mm. I'm like, Wheel of Time? Ugh. It's going to be sort of white ladies. But I am in excited the, the, the TV show. Gowns. The TV show is has yeah. people of color. They're doing whole, very daring of, things with the casting. Most of the cast is. Yeah. is Thank POC. God. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I'm. So a, I'm really interested to see what that is going to look like. Yeah. Right. Um, and but is I it going to be POCs put into? They're the main characters of main medieval characters. Europe. <laughs> but yeah, it's still going to be Wheel of Time. Okay. But. It's just going to be people of color navigating through it. Yeah, and that's it's fascinating to me. It is, and I think I know what you mean, and that you want you want the world building to code. Yes, correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And that might be just an issue that I have in general because I think yeah. about what would Tolkien look like if people of color were included in that world. Mm-hmm. We were coded as orcs mm-hmm. um, and men from the south, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's always from the south. Do you get these? Yeah, because that's where the sun is. Well, like it's where the heat is. Exactly. I I try to. You know, I'm working on incendiary too, and I I have a map of the world, and it's the known world. It's just this continent, Mm -hmm. two two other kingdoms, and then there's like ice Mm -hmm. on both sides. So it's like because it's a fantasy world, right? but I'm I'm I never go like oh and then the the brown people in the south no and I'm like no, it, no that doesn't make sense to me. But it's funny that that when we look at these old 
guard mm-hmm. worlds. That's where they always put right, us. Right, even yeah. it, uh, Game of Thrones. Like yeah. you go to the you go to Dorne, yeah. and Dorne in the south. They mm-hmm. get more and more coded mm-hmm. for the brown folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fascinating because I think that content creators who come from white backgrounds, European backgrounds, code brownness as warm. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about well, where yeah. are we, right. we're in the warm places. And so it, I guess you just get, it gets stale after a while, but I am very hard on worlds that just plop us in. Mm-hmm. You plop me, plop brown kids into a context that's cold and that has the trappings of medieval Europe. I need you to handle that. Like, or could, like there has to be, there has to, for me, and I think this will, this will, when we get into like the craft of world building, I can elaborate on this. But for me, I think what's, you know, what's missing uh, and what I think aggrieves you about just like plopping a black yeah. person into a setting in which they're not normally seen and, you know, having that sort of be this like service, like this, this extraneous service to the story is that there's no explained logic to it. Right. And so, and that just means like, logic within the world like it doesn't have to make sense like generally because like you look at a thing like racism racism doesn't make sense but it's a governing logic that's right and yeah like we like world building really good world building i think even if it's very simple changes to the world as it exists today has that same logic to it exactly and i think i just don't believe you as a content creator if Mm. you just plop someone in and there's no justification. I don't believe I you. see that a lot in YA fantasies where it's there is a, a character who is like ambiguously ethnic. <laughs> you don't really know how to visualize them because the world has been coded as like Andalasia, which is not a real I mean it's a real world in um enchanted. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it, you know, it is that it's like it's like the snake yeah. world, and there's like fantasy trappings. But the fantasy trappings are fantasy trappings that we understand because they are coded European. And then there's right. this like the hero is always like uh, tawny brown skin, and which I I also use. But uh, and like green eyes and dark hair, because like that's the archetypal YA hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the girl has like ginger hair and is fierce right and um, it's it's an easy way of coding outsider yes mm-hmm. yes like they it, the color as indicator of outsider That's i right. think is one of the reasons why so much of so much of that element of world building feels lazy to yes me. it feels lazy and i think it all goes back for me to shakespeare and thinking mm. about who are the others who are the others in all of shakespeare's play they're either jewish or they were the the more Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. we think about how it's a shorthand for white content creators. And then it's interesting because then you look at a play like Othello and right. be like, okay, so he's obviously capable That's right. of writing uh, like a character complex. of color who's complex right. and can really like drive a story yeah. and put the story on his back. Right. Why doesn't he do this more often? That's right. You know, it's that sort of... I think that's why, you know, all the other stuff is so relatively disappointing is because, like, you know what he's capable of. That's right. Right. He did it then, but then in all the other mm-hmm. plays, I think like, that, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we just put too much pressure on Shakespeare because we can't expect all of our books to be good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Are there worlds that you wouldn't live in that you're like, oof, 
can't do it. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't live in any of the worlds that Marlon James creates. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Because none of us would be alive. No, not like, not even, I would not, I would not leave the womb. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like we would not be alive. I would not go to Middle Earth. Oh, yeah. Because no. I, I would have to be in work. Yeah, I would yeah. go live with the hobbits because they just get drunk all the time. But you yeah, wouldn't but be have... allowed in. You're still too dark to be with the hobbits. Your ass <laughs> would be to the, oh, you're a man, you're a woman from the South. And like, have you seen their feet? Right. That's I have hobbit feet. No, you I wax my toes. Oh my god. They don't have Full disclosure. They don't have toe wax in Middle Earth. Yes. I'll invent it. You be shit out of luck. Okay, so <laughs> any other worlds that you wouldn't I wanna live in Gotham, but I don't think I would make it either. I would join in the fucking Barber Keen's sirens in Gotham in the Gotham TV show Gotham. Yeah. Mm. Uh yeah, that would be fun. I'm trying to think of places that I wouldn't make it. I'm not going to Wheel of Time. No. I'm not going yeah. to Earthsea. <laughs> yeah. Any medieval world, I know I don't have what it takes. Yeah. Right, because so you, need you, a, you need internal plumbing. I need, right. Mm-hmm. I know I'm yeah. going to catch the plague quit. Yeah. And using the little peapot is just, I'm, I'm not just, with I'm it. Not, yeah. The sword and sorcery world, I really don't have what it takes. No. I would go to. I do. I will do it. Because you're, <laughs> you're a freaking camper and hiker. Yeah, look, and at, look at those guns. Look at yes. those guns. I would go to Stephen King's World of the Dark Tower because mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite series of mm-hmm. his because I would love to go to all of the different mm-hmm. places. Um, but I would go there. I would love to go to the world of Paul Kruger's Steel Crow Saga. Nice. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Like yeah. that would be so dope. That yeah. would be that would be amazing. Yeah. I'd go to Schwab's Londons. Mm. I want to go to Black go, London. I, I would die. Red London. Red London. London. Yeah. The other London. Like, to, yeah. No, Red London has like the brown people and parties. <laughs> yeah. You should be the theme here where Zoraida Cordova yeah. just wants to go party, party. Yeah. yeah. Like, the world's yeah. where she can party. Oh my gosh! So which I get, I get it. And of course, I would go to Hogwarts. Like yes, absolutely. I would be I would be head of Slytherin House. Is, but this is like where you would not go. Yeah, yes, I would go there. I'm trying to think of. There's a couple places. Most of the places that I wouldn't go have the theme of no indoor plumbing. Mm. So that yeah. Well, if you go to Hogwarts, you literally just like shit wherever you want, right, and then there's magic. Apparently, that's how that works. That, <laughs> that like was. <laughs> That was I a failure. Like it. We're gonna talk about the craft. Yeah. That was a failure of world building. I talk, listen, I have dealt with so much poop and menstruation in my last two books. It is hilarious. Yeah. And I'm waiting for my editors to be like stet, and I would be, no to be like cut, and I would be like stet. Yes. I need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. It's very right. important to me. Well, in the bells, there are literal gorgeous bathrooms. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just was like... It's oh, a thinly good. veiled autobiography. Yes. <laughs> I need a good bathroom. Well, like, even... And I think this is especially important for... Um, non-female authors like for for me it was very important there's a scene like very 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 early on in War Girls where Oni and Chinelo are going out on a run yeah and I remember the scene yeah and and Oni's like you know some of the girls have started to bleed and like it was it's just an offhand thing and it's Mm -hmm. like it's in the context of these are some of the supplies that we have to look for and like it was very important for me to to have that in there because it's an acknowledgement of these 
these characters, these female characters living in the bodies that they live in. That's right. And I think yeah. particularly from dudes, there's no, there's not really any consideration of the fact of the bodies that people who aren't male occupy. Yes. Right. And when you had that in there, I was like, okay, don't you? Don't you? Oh my God. Like, I was not ready because well, I, I texted, so many men don't. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I te- uh, the other day I texted a couple of friends, I texted Natalie and Tessa, and I was like, hey, can you give me like some suggestions of like books that include menstruation as like part of the big it's, it's a concern right mm-hmm. because right. I'm like the, the timeline in incendiary too is like has been a month and I'm like she, she should have her period again mm-hmm. yeah. unless like because like I, I, I make like a in, if, if in book one I have a, a birth control tea mm-hmm. you know uh, I have to I have to talk about this um, and they were like well war girls and oh. yeah <laughs> Shout out to Natalie. Yes. Uh, Tessa's books. Yeah. And, and I, they mentioned, like, Graceling. And, mm-hmm. and then they were like, I can't think of a lot of other fantasies that are, like, my girl has been on a quest for two fucking months. Yeah. And we don't talk about where she, like, where's her menstruation pad. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, so. I definitely didn't talk about it in the bells. <laughs> but... I yeah. didn't even think about it because they're also getting blood from all different. Mm-hmm. They're being yeah. bled, mm-hmm. yeah. so mm-hmm. it's like a loose metaphor <laughs> for <laughs> constant bleeding. But I was very excited to see that oh, in your well, book. You. Yeah. So many male content creators forget that yeah. when they write about women. Yeah. Another world I would want to live in is Star Wars. Of course, of course. I've been waiting for you to bring up Star Wars. <laughs> I, you know, I, I in my, the back of my head, I have like spoiler if you haven't seen the Mandalorian. Um, there's Baby Yoda, mm-hmm. and like I just been thinking about Baby Yoda for the last couple of days. Like he's in blowing my, you up and, the internet. You and literally everybody on Twitter. Yeah, like <laughs> they love just, him. My brother keeps texting me images of him, and I text him images of Baby Yoda. There's like seven images of him. We're just I all didn't know this. I guess I just forgot that. He would have been a baby. No, but it's not. It's just a baby that looks like Yoda. Oh, he's it's not. It's not Yoda as a okay. baby. We're just calling him Baby Yoda because, like, in the Star Wars universe, his species is unknown. So mm-hmm. this is the second time we have seen this kind of alien, which is a big deal because we don't know anything about Yoda's background. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting very serious. I mean, that's, you know, which is understandable because you wrote a Star Wars yeah, book. I wrote a Star Wars. But um, I would like to live in the world of Batu because uh, I helped write it. And uh, because I know who to be friends with. I know mm. that I'm going to be friends with Oga Gara, the crime lord boss. Of course. I'm going to be friends with uh, Doc Onder, who runs the black market and, you know, can get me money. I'm going to be friends with the people who run the pets, uh, the the pet stall, um, so I can play with the puffer pigs. Those puffer pigs suck, okay? <laughs> they deserve to be roasted for their goddamn bacon. Wow. Oh that was violent. You keep harassing me with your puffer pig. Listeners, if you've ever watched Deadline City's Instagram stories, you see that the puffer pig attack. I should just make that like one of those Instagram memories and just like, Mm. it'll just be puffer pig. And it'll just be nonstop me scaring Danielle with that pig. I hate that pig. Just be a, a YouTube supercut of yeah. You. Yeah. me being harassed by the pig. I don't actually think that I would survive Star, Star Wars, Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. in general.
girl, I don't have what it takes. I'm very. But if you're I like in one comfort. Place, you could go to you could go to Naboo. Naboo is like the only the place I would be able mm-hmm. to survive. Yeah. I just know you myself. You could be a fancy person in Coruscant with, with like all the rich people. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting about this discussion so far is that we seem to be focusing on the most dangerous parts of these worlds. Right. Right? When we talk about worlds that we would want to live in or worlds that we love or worlds that we hate when, you know, and and again, this is something that we'll probably get into a little bit more with the craft aspect of it. The, what I imagine the idea is, is that the worlds are bigger than the most dangerous part of them. We just, the book or the movie or the TV episode focuses on the most dangerous part because that's where the conflict and the drama is, you know? In the fear. Yeah. Yes. It's true. I always, I'm a little, my mom calls Mm -hmm. me chicken little. Like, I'm (laughs) afraid. And so I think about. Like, we could survive in Jurassic Park if. If we didn't live in the fucking park. If we didn't live in the park. I don't want any parts of Jurassic Park. I don't want any I don't want any parts of that. Like I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. I would love to see the dinosaurs. That's Mm. I would go back into that time. Could you imagine living in like the gentrified part of Gotham City? Oh my god. Yes. Like Bruce Wayne Tower. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, like that shit never gets exploded. Like Yeah. And if it does, it just gets rebuilt right away. Right away. Because that's where all the tax money's going. Exactly. Right. Their roads right. get and plowed. Like, 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 nobody wants to live in Panem, but they would like to live in the was it in the District cap- 1? Right, District 1 mm-hmm. in the capital. Mm-hmm. The first three districts in the capital. I still don't want to live there because I know that my number's always going to come up. Mm, you got that kind and of And no, nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. No. And and it brings us to thinking about sort of what are the ingredients for great worlds? Like what makes for a world that we want to stay in or revisit? People love Harry Potter and love Hogwarts because there's all of these different sort of nooks and crannies and magic. Right. Yeah. But I also think there that I think a reason for that is that their experience of that world happens through a character that they can relate to. Right. A character that is around their age. They're not experiencing that world through the eyes of Dumbledore, for instance. Right. right. Which is very different. Exactly. Exactly. It's because of Harry's lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never thought about like the lens with which we enter the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Determines how we love it or not love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, when I was talking about Six of Crows, like we enter Ketterdom through an edge from the top. Yeah. Yep. Um, and when we go to the Grisha world, we see the absolute worst because, mm-hmm. like, they're in the military boats or skiffs. Skiff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, like, that plays a big part until, like, later we're transported to the palace, little palace, which is like beautiful and like yeah. there's like tea and fur and like all these beautiful things. Um, so that's a, that's really interesting. Uh, when it comes to world building, I think that. I get really, I want to be able to see the world without losing pacing over the details. And that's a really fine balance. So you want to sink into the world sort of quickly so that give sort of what you need to know and then like move forward? Yeah, Is that what I you mean? No, I mean that I I don't want te- like three pages of description. I want my character because I, I what I've noticed when I read is like when reading lately it'll be like 
description, 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 but the character is not interacting mm-hmm. with their surroundings. I like, see. Like, we're in a marketplace, and we describe the marketplace, but the character isn't, like, picking stuff up, isn't, mm. like, touching things. Isn't, so like, you want to be anchored in character as they interact with environment. Yeah. That's an interesting way to start. That is the sm- I think that's the smartest way of, like, letting us know what a world is without bogging it down with exposition. And I feel like that's because we are have been trained to write for YA and kids. At the same time though, like Wolf Hall begins with Thomas Cromwell getting the shit kicked out of him. Right. And that's our introduction to that world. Like not just not just the perspective through which we reach that world, but we're also getting an indication of power dynamics. We're also mm-hmm. getting an indication of how violent this world can yes. be. Like we're getting an indication of stakes. You're like, is this dude gonna get killed? Like it's obvious that he's an important character because we're starting the story with him. Is he our protect like all of this is happening in this single Scene. And so I think it's, I think even in, even in adult fiction and even outside of fantasy and science fiction, I think that some of the most successful world building, at least for me, has come when the story has begun in a moment of conflict. Yes. Right. Like an immediate moment of conflict. Yeah. I yeah. agree. And I think that I, when I talk to writers, I think you should start a book when the water is warm mm-hmm. for that character, mm-hmm. not when it's cold and you heat them up. Well, on the you other side bubble. of that is um, Forest of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie mm-hmm. Dow, yes. which does start before anything happens. But you right? know there's trouble you know, coming to right. town. Because yeah. you're waiting for that bitch to eat a heart. That's yeah. right. You yeah. know immediately yep. with that yep. girl, with that character... This is going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I think if you're going to start before the water is hot, I got to know this is going to be yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she does that. She does yeah. that. that. That is one of the most tense books. And it's, oh, it's delightful. It's the best debuts I've ever read. Uh, and especially in the, the last couple of years. I, you know, world building, language, sentence level, like mm-hmm. perfect. That book yes. is perfect. Um, and... and Talk about a world where I'm like, I would, I would live there, and I would also want to eat, but not eat with. Is <laughs> she fun? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I want to be her friend, though. Yeah. Yeah. You would be. You would be her friend. I would be She'd her friend. Well, like, cause She'd she, kill you, cause but... she would, but like, she would be. I think she would be a ride or die friend, yes. right? Yes. If, if you weren't like the Slytherin, yeah, yeah. Like if you didn't stand in her way or anything like that, she would be. She would be like Stephen Jackson. She would be like if it's if you're like fuck that dude. She yeah. would be like fuck that dude forever. Exactly. Right. Like she would. She would be. She would fuck go to the that raggedy <laughs> dude. Right. She totally would. She would just go for yep. it. She would just do it. Yeah. She no. Would she, would. she would. She would do that. <laughs> And I'll be ride or die for her. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. that world, you're right. It's I think the worlds that make me want to come back have the juxtaposition of cool details, danger, but a character that I want to mm-hmm. be attached to as the vehicle for which the world unfolds. Yeah. Because I do think that sometimes certain writers were just in a world just to be in a world mm-hmm. and they're more excited about the world than the character mm-hmm. and I think that that's when that's when I'm not pulled through Schwab in A Darker Shade of Magic does a great job we are anchored in a traveler mm-hmm. that means we get to see all the Londons mm-hmm. so it's the perfect person to navigate us as tourists right and we know and care about Kel's issue 
being sort of the perpetual visitor and the perpetual mm-hmm. outsider and like no family, right? In that way, but like this weird adoptive family. So it's an interesting thing to think about. How do we get these right ingredients for a world? I also like worlds that have no real sense of good and evil. Mm. Okay. Because I did feel the thing that doesn't last for me with the Harry Potter universe is that there aren't as many shades of gray. Right, because mm. it's all like you're either a Gryffindor or you're a Slytherin, no in-betweens. Right, and Voldemort is a bad villain, and I think that it sets up such a dynamic where I would rather Dolores Umbridge in the middle. Like, I'd rather see more gray. I don't want Dolores Umbridge getting here. I mean, just like, I mean, that's Victoria's <coughs> favorite villain. I mean, in terms of a world where there's more where gray. There's a, there's a, right, because, mm-hmm. well, that's the thing about Star Wars, but that's, but fantasy, um, fantasy is idealistic. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the Force, you're, you're either light side or you're dark side, but like, canonically, the gray Jedis don't exist. But they're sh- they should. They should. Well, what's fascinating about that, particularly within the Star Wars universe, you can have a movie like Rogue One. Right. Yes. So in the context right. of the Force, it's wider, it's like light or dark, right? right? But for the regular, degular, like, humans out there... Right. For the and, people who just have a blaster and they're in revolution Exactly. Mode. Like, that's where so much of the, like, meaty stuff happens, like, morally and with regards right. to stakes and all this. That's, like, a very fascinating... I think that was a perfect example of the expansion of the world that deepened it at the same time. Right. And I just, I guess at this juncture, I'm more interested in gray right. and worlds that have that built into the fabric. And I'm just wondering if it's something, if, is there a different way and different ingredients when we think about things targeted towards adults mm-hmm. than things targeted towards teens and kids Yeah, in terms of world building? I think in, in targeting teens, we choose an idealistic uh, form of explaining good and evil. Right. Uh, and I don't think that that's helpful because I don't think that's how the real world works. But in our current times and administration, we do come down to these these basic things. Like, you're either with us or against us. Right. Right? Like, And I would rather, and I'm hoping that kids fiction and teen fiction can start exploring that there are several steps between good and evil. And there are people that are complicit in evil that are in the middle and still Mm -hmm. sort of like, I'm not in the KKK, but I also am not okay with you dating someone who is not blah, blah, blah. Nimby-ass people. Right. Yeah. Like, I want to know, I want that sort of shading to start showing up in some of these worlds a right. little bit more. So would that would that happen through, say, for instance, oppressive societal systems? Right. So I think that's an interesting ingredient. And you have that in very explicit fashion in The Hunger Games, right? Where it's like this oppression, and then you have the hero fighting, you know, the oppressive system. But what what's interesting to me is when, you know, you have you have it more easily grafted onto or more explicitly grafted onto real-world oppressive structures. Right, right. So, like, it gets, you know, you have a situation where it gets increasingly difficult to say, okay, this isn't about racism or Mm -hmm. this isn't about gentrification or, like, this isn't about, you know, transphobia, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I want 
stories that deal explicitly with that and that make themselves amenable to that sort of reading because I think, you know, because we have, you know, teens now that are dealing with all of these issues. All of them. All of these issues. Compounded. Yeah, and I don't think we do them a service by sort of blanketing whatever issue we want to talk about in so many layers of allegory that right. it become, that it gets missed. Yeah. Right. So in my book Incendiary, the the world looks like medieval Spain. It is it is an allegory for the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only and xenophobia. It's about xenophobia. It's about um, what happens after you've colonized a people and um, the, the, a subset of those people are still fighting back, mm-hmm. right? And and you've, you've made their existence illegal, right? Their magic is illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can you how can you go on a trial to prove your innocence if, like, the thing that you are is is wrong? Wrong mm-hmm. is right? the apparition. Right. Yeah. And, and Lee does that, too, in the Grisha trilogy where, she, where Nina asks Matthias, like, has any Grisha ever been found innocent in mm-hmm. your trials like because mm-hmm. our existence is the thing that's that's wrong um and i deal with the same thing but i don't the the other things like race and gender slash um um i don't want that to be an issue in my world mm-hmm. because like the i'm already dealing with xenophobia and all these other things mm-hmm. like i want everyone else to be able to exist. Yeah. Um, I do create... I do think it's important to create individual cultures mm-hmm. um, for people and do the, that legwork, but I don't want to be like... And it's also illegal to be gay. And yeah. it's also like... You know, I, these there, races. So I came, I came up against... Uh, or I think I followed a similar track with War Girls mm-hmm. in that it would have been very easy to also make it a book about sexism. Yeah. Mm. To also make it a book about, yeah. you know, violence against women, etc, etc, etc. You know, and because it's a story that takes place in Africa, why not throw in some female genital mutilation, right? Right. But it, I made a conscious decision not to have that in there so that it, it would be perfectly normal to have an elite unit of assassins composed entirely of young women, right? Like yeah. that, it was important for me to have that just be normal, or at least normal within the context of the story that's being told. Because because of the the focus that I wanted to have on, you know, the tribal conflict, right? Civil war. Yeah, exactly. Um, how do you think that your world building has changed from your first series mm. to this? So what was interesting, what's interesting to me about the difference between the world building process in Beast Made of Night and Crown of Thunder and the world building process in War Girls is that in War Girls, it's more explicitly based on existing reality, right? So right, right. the Nigeria, geographically, the Nigeria that exists in War Girls exists in real life and exists in the present day. Right. Like Enugu, Abuja, um, you know, Lagos, all of those are real actual cities mm-hmm. in the present day. And so it was really a matter of extrapolating, you know, a, a future uh in which these places still exist um, and exist in the context of this civil war. So it was interesting because it almost felt as though my job were easier. Like the geography was there, a lot of the, the, 
you know, tribal placement was there, you know, the sort of Christians in the South, Muslims in the North, like a lot of it, I didn't have to create that. She it was pulled exactly, from existing exactly. dynamics. Whereas with Beast Made of Night, that was much more a place that was built out of whole cloth, but there were still elements of real Nigeria that I took. It was just those elements of, of real Nigeria that I took were more thematic than okay. actual. And then so, you right. mixed it and exactly. then created this. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, an example would be in War Girls, I pull the existing geography from real life, but for, for Beast Made of Night, I pull class dynamic from Nigeria, Nigeria. Exactly. and then replicated it in this other exactly. place. Like geographically, you know, the city of coast is structured like Paris, where you have right. these arrondissements that sort of spiral out. Right. You know, like but, a snail. Ex- you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, the French. <laughs> <laughs> but like and they're and they're called, you know, Dahia, yeah, and that's how right. the neighborhoods are structured. Right. There isn't really a city in Nigeria, at least to my knowledge, that's structured like that. But the commonality is the intensity of the class conflict. And the fact that you have the super rich living practically on top of the super poor. Right, right, right. Which is not a stretch to believe on. That's right. And what I love is that you took and extracted an element, a Mm. piece, which I think is a beautiful part of what we can do as world builders. Mm -hmm. But when it's not thought out... It, that's when yeah. it bothers me because people just pull these these like little elements like I'm just gonna translate this word mm-hmm. from English to Spanish. Or I'm gonna add a letter. It. Right, and then and it's sloppy. And, it's sloppy. Yeah. Right. And that's or, or even even too if it's a dynamic that's central to the story and it feels not thought through like oh you know slavery is an automatically like dramatic thing and it's going to really make my story pop and so I'm just going to have chattel slavery in the story but I'm not going to really think through how it developed in the world that I'm building I'm not going to think about like you know the characters that I'm starting with like where they came from in the context of the system I'm just going to throw chattel slavery in here and not really think about what it means in this world for there to be chattel slavery and it becomes tacked on and it has no depth and it's just like for shock value Exactly. Just for like shits and giggles when yeah. it doesn't have the weight. And I always tell writers too when they ask me about world building, I said, take that sort of iceberg metaphor for culture. Mm-hmm that they use in HR departments and all of that <laughs> and really build it yeah. for your world. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, Nora Jemison uses it. Yep. Yes. And yep. literally talk about what are the, why are people the way they are mm-hmm. and how it's so much more than just what they wear, what they eat, what they call their mm-hmm. mother. It all comes from this deep well mm-hmm. underneath the water. And I think that leads us great into sort of tips, things that work, things that don't work. Right. So when I build a fantasy world, I do Scott Westerfeld told me early on I asked him a question at it was like an RT years ago and I said how do you build your worlds just as simple I've been asking a lot of sci-fi fantasy writers like how do you do it how do you start and he said he asks one question what in the world does everyone want so I've taken that question as like my essential frame and then I've complicated it what in the world does everyone want and what are they willing to do to get it and so that way I can start creating mm-hmm. that hierarchy yeah. and but then, structure. But then I think where a lot of writers, like the last couple of weeks, like I've had writers ask, like, I, I don't have enough of this one thing. Can I just like take for like smush things together? And I'm like, please don't do that. <laughs> don't just like take, um, you know, Inca stuff and smash it with um, like Chinese stuff. Like it just, 
And if you do, why? Yeah. Right. Like, what are the reasons? Really like, think through, um, especially too, if you're if you're pulling from a culture that's not your own. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think that there's a fear of inventing your own things. Like, there is. There's a hesitation. Labyrinth Lost. There, there is no, you know, Wiccan Bible for Brujeria. So I made something up for my world. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to push ourselves to be inventive and to um, make shit up, which is our literal job. Right. Well, what's it? so one thing too, and I think this is the ways. This is a way in which the industry constrains that mm. very thing. Is that the publishing schedule for YA yeah. is so intense and instant mm-hmm. and like you know you gotta you gotta go, turn go, stuff go, out. Go, 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 go. Deadline City. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like you know yeah. hello from Deadline City. Yeah. Um, and you know when you contrast the vast majority of world building efforts in YA mm-hmm. with world building efforts in adult spec fic you know you see this difference because in adult spec fic, you have the time to research seismology right. and see how that impacts your world, especially right. if it's a world where people, certain people can literally break the earth. Right. right? You have the time to and the resources to research languages and, you know, to really delve into cultures, particularly cultures that aren't your own, so that you can pull in sensitive and interesting fashion from them to create your own world. You can research Mongolian horse riding traditions so that you can write what what K. Arsenal Rivera does yeah. in The Tiger's Daughter, which is just like fantastic. Right. Like the world building in that, in those stories is amazing and you I don't think that publishing houses uh, afford young adult authors the same amount of time to do things that aren't you know cookie cutter right or shortcuts yeah right? exactly we get a lot of in our industry a lot of things that are shortcuts because they've already been established right mm-hmm. there are things that I could if I was building a fantasy right now that I could use that I could pull from Lee I could pull from mm-hmm. Cassie Clare that are yeah. shortcuts mm-hmm. right um, because they've already established some genre things right. and now we have shorthands Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it can make us a little bit lazy I when do we think do that. that. That's why that's why I've been you know I've been struggling with a lot of fantasies uh, lately, and I just want I I want us to do better not just for ourselves and for our craft, but for the kids that are going to be ultimately reading these books. Right, and we echo the things that are successful because that's what we found mm-hmm. sort of. That's what the Everybody industry wants. Everybody writes their echo book. Right. Everyone mm-hmm. writes their echo book. And I, I'm hoping that we can sort of push our worlds to different places. And if someone wants to cherry pick and put together things from Chinese elements and things from Incan elements, do it responsibly mm-hmm. and yeah. know those things. If you don't know it, don't do it. Yeah. For example, in The Bells, I took this idea of I was living in Japan and I was watching the tea culture. And the rituals in the tea houses, because I love tea and I would go to all of the different ones. And I thought, what if, and then I was living in France and I saw all of this sort of emphasis on beauty culture and they are sort of the beginning of the commodification of beauty products, right? And I thought, what if beauty products and the commodification of those, what if it had a ritual aspect like mm. the tea houses that I saw. So yeah. I put the those two ideas together and versus it works a, perfectly versus yeah. appropriating all of this 
Japanese these things, mm-hmm. right? Using terms, using all of those things. Instead, it's like taking the essence of something that is interesting to you, mm-hmm. remixing it, mm-hmm. yeah. and making it world specific and your own. Renaming it, making it a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when you really push your world. It's about intent, right? Right. Mm-hmm. What is the intent of the author? And we talk about how like the author's intent doesn't matter if you're looking at but that's like literary criticism. Right. But your intent while you're writing matters. And also too, I think intent shows through the page. Yes. I think it shows through the page. I think, you know, it's I think oftentimes you can tell whether or not an author has devoted care to an yes. aspect of their story or they've researched it and not necessarily through the amount of detail that shows up on the page, but whether or not something is thoughtful or yes. thought through. Like, it, I I, per, I don't know how it should... Like, it just... It's this intangible. You know when something's tacked on. Yeah. You know when something's lazy and it's a shortcut mm-hmm. that has not been explored. Mm-hmm. Whenever I read a book that has slavery in it and slavery is not interrogated, mm-hmm. it feels like it's tacked on. Yeah. Because it's a big thing. If you say it's in there... You, it's a huge... It's huge. literally one of the worst things you could do to another person. Exactly. So I need you to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why is it there? Right? Yeah. I think that when we build our world, something that... A tip that I use is I don't put anything in there that's gratuitous. Right. It ha- Everything mm-hmm. has its role and its place. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be in there. Right. And there are people who believe, like, oh, well, I, you, they'll go to somebody like Sean and McGuire and say, like, oh, you have no sexual assault in your books. That's not believable. Right? And and they they can't live in a world where sexual assault or slavery or, or racism isn't or, or um a bigotry towards like queer people um doesn't exist. Like they right. they mm-hmm. they be, they have to they want they want a fantasy version of our real world struggles, mm-hmm. but not every world needs that construction. Yeah. Right. And I thought about that a lot when I was building the bells. I was like, so how are how do people couple? And I realized like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so I get a lot of people being like, Oh my gosh, right, this is a world where there's right. no homophobia. I'm yeah. like, right, we have other issues. Other yeah. things yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. like that's why right? in this in And in everybody this, can yeah. die in my world. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. If you don't follow instructions, you're dead. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your skin tone is. <laughs> It doesn't matter who you love. You don't follow instructions, you're dead. And so I wanted to write a world where the things that killed us Mm -hmm. in our real world aren't the things that kill us in my fantasy world. Just for my world. And I wanted to see what that could be like. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I'll always write worlds like that, but it was something that I was really sort of purposeful about. And I think that when intentional world building, thinking about why is this here, why does it deserve space? And you think... Easing someone in quickly via character is sort of your world vehicle. Yeah, I, I want my character. It, it, I I do start in heavy places, like in in, mm-hmm. in incendiary. I start with like my character uh, after the prologue. She's she's watching a build uh, like an entire city burn. And, and, and like, even in Labyrinth Lost, we start at mm-hmm. like a huge high point yeah. for this character. But like, yeah, but they're interacting with the magical elements. They're that's not right. Just, What's and and there's a similar I do a similar thing with Riot Baby and I didn't really realize it explicitly until this conversation. But the very first scene of Riot Baby is Ella, like the one of the main characters, as a kid on a school bus that gets um, that gets boarded by gangbangers who threaten a kid. Mm. And like you think in terms of 
the speculative element, that's not really there. I mean, she does have this sort of almost vision of the future at the very end of that scene, but the entirety of that scene, the stakes and everything are are all real world. It's all like South Central. Like this is like South Central in the nineties and right. like that that tense. Exactly. Tell our it, listeners what Riot Baby is. So Riot Baby is my adult debut. <laughs> coming out in January of 2020. Available for pre-order everywhere books are sold. Um, and it's about these two siblings, Ella and Kev, who uh, grow up in the shadow of the 1992 LA Uprising. And their story takes them from South Central to Harlem to Rikers and back to Watts. And they have to deal the whole time with all this institutional racism, police violence, ma- issues of mass incarceration, all while Ella develops superpowers. Which is amazing because oh, we you. get black girl with superpowers. Yo, which it's is like it was so makes me much so happy. It was so much fun to write, and so I think there were interesting aspects of world building that I got to attack from a craft level with that story that I don't think I've ever been able to do, even though it's all based on America as we know and understand it and American history and all of that, but. One of Ella, one of the things that happens with Ella is through her, we're able to get visions of other people's presence, like present realities in America. We get visions of their past, we get visions of their futures, and all of it is rooted in the tactility of the American experience. But like, I was able to to write into a lot of those realities, and it was really, really, really cool to have that vehicle for world building. And you can like you can do that. You can have adult. exactly like you can have somebody's power be a vehicle for world building. And I think that's really interesting when science fiction and fantasy stories can do that very effortlessly. Right. And it's interesting to think about it, what we're freed up to do when we write for adults versus mm-hmm. what we're freed up to do when we write for, for, for kids teenagers, yeah. mm-hmm. and for teens. Um, but if you had to give your number one tip for building worlds. What do you do? What's the secret sauce for both of you? The secret sauce? Sauce. <laughs> That's the sauce from Queens. Man, man is sauce. Yeah, the sauce from Queens. What's the sauce from Queens? Shut up. <laughs> uh, let me think about this. Toshi, you go. Um, so I think it begins with character. And this goes back to, I think, what Scott Westerfeld was talking about mm-hmm. with, you know, what do people in your world want? And I'm going to tell a very, very, very abbreviated story um, because I know we're going a little bit long, but um, in college I did mock trial. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It tracks. Nerd! It tracks. Um, And one year, I believe this was my senior year, the plaintiff was uh, a guy who was running for governor of the fictional state. His name was uh, Drew Walton. And the defendant was this news magnet, uh, last name like Berkshire or something like that. And Walton was suing Berkshire for, I think it was defamation or libel or something because of, (coughs) excuse me, you know, some bad news coverage or like Walton had been implicated in a crime by Berkshire or something like that, right? And... 
in mock trial in college, it's typically, you know, if there, it's vast majority white students on these teams. Mm -hmm. And so if ever there's a character that's played by a black uh, student, it's always done to some stereotype. So, you know, heavy AAVE accented, um, you know, or they're a janitor Mm -hmm. or whatever. Of course. Real like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern type shit, right? But... I, we had this sort of renegade coach who was all about, like, you know, painting outside the lines. And so what we did, and this sort of blew my trial wide open, is we they had me play Drew Walton, and they made me black. Okay. And so all of a sudden, that completely opened up all sorts of possibilities with our case in chief because we could say now... Okay, maybe this guy has a vendetta against me and my family, or maybe he's just like, you know, there's other motivations, or maybe he's racist. Right. And the other kids had no idea what to do with that. Right. They were flummoxed. Right. They never. And it's a monkey wrench. Yeah, and like, that's the thing is, they'd never been forced to deal with. The like a fully realized black character in that context. That's right. And they, how bias exactly. They knew how to cross examine like an ingenuous like janitor. They right. knew how to cross examine you know uh, you know some other like secondary character who played to a like you know their stereotypes about black Americans, but like. I was like the Ob- I was like Obama, like, right, like how and you they gonna had, come from my neck. How are you gonna come from my yeah, neck? Yeah, and like they like one kid, one kid even when he was cross examining me, and he was from the other team. He was like, "Where in your affidavit does it say you're black?" It was hilarious. Yeah. Oh my God. It's an out of body experience. It's yeah. like really absurd. It's exactly, absurd. and so it was fascinating to see this conflict in world building exercises. Uh, where, you know, we created this world that had fully realized black characters right. and they hadn't. Right. And that's important when you're building your world to know yeah. your character and what, how they're going to move in the body that exactly. they have. And what does, how is that body cataloged mm-hmm. and thought of in the world? And so my thing, it's sort of like a double whammy. My big thing here in terms of uh, creating worlds is I, I start with a character in conflict. So it's not just that I have a character. It's that I have a character who has the most to lose in a particular scenario. Right. Because that, to me, is the most interesting story. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I think for world building, I like to interrogate... I get lost in the minutiae of, mm-hmm. of the world, right? Like, I, I'm like, okay, they're serving, they're serving rum. What region in this country <laughs> has sugar cane? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like... Who's farming the sugar cane? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we have hams. Uh, like, right. We have like ha- we're serving roasted pig. Where are these pig farms? You know, right. I think that we. I think that's super brilliant. We forget. Super smart. We forget all of these mm-hmm. things. Like, if you look at a feast, it's not enough to have a feast. What are the items that are on this mm-hmm. feast? Right. Um, and where is everything in, is coming from? Like, you you have a kingdom, fine. But what is your kingdom's import and export? Yeah. What are the relationships to other kingdoms where they can import like some fancy fucking silk that you can't get anywhere? Or, like, and how dive? does the topography and the geography influence mm-hmm. those things? Where you put your rivers? Exactly. You, yeah. Exactly. Because it does. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. It's when I read sort of like characters that are black or in this in fantasy worlds that's supposed to be Caribbean or whatever, and they're eating crepes. What? Like, where did the, where where did yeah. the crepes, crepes come from? Yeah. Why did you do that? If this is an island-based culture, it's mm-hmm. hot. 
What are they growing? Yeah, we're probably not, we're cassava eating, and we're yuca. yuca. Yeah. Like, we're <laughs> yeah. Make yuca yeah. preps. Like, be smart be and smart, intentional right, right. in your world building and pull it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I think I like. I just there's so much to say for doing doing the research, and I know it feels daunting. But if you don't want to do the work, then like maybe just write a contemporary novel. Right. Well, or you, you can, still have to do the work, that's ladies. Yeah. Well, like what's Which interesting. I too. also write, and I do do my research. I do do my research for that. Excuse as well. you. Yeah, well, uh, uh, so just on that note, with Riot Baby, I still did a ton of research. Right. right? Yeah. So I'm not from LA. Like I'm not from Compton. Right. But like the the first whole chunk of the book is set in South Central, mm-hmm. and I had to get it right. And it's set in South Central during a very, very, very particular time. That's right. A yeah. very particular Heightened time for Black Americans and exactly. Yes. So yes. like to get that right, I had to do research. Yes. And I'm fortunate in that there was like stuff like archival footage, or like even a lot of the rappers that I love listening to now. Grew up during that time. time. And yeah. that's what they rap about. And like, they're influenced by Exactly. It. There's another so, part of the book that's set at Rikers, and that mm-hmm. drew enti- like, almost entirely from my experience working in that aspect of the criminal justice system. Yeah, and you had to do research on Rikers. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's and I think that's the biggest takeaway, I think, from the entire podcast today is to do your research and do it so well that you don't make someone, you don't snatch someone out of the world because Mm -hmm. you forgot to think of a thing. Right. Um, And it's not, it's not enough to say just like read because we should all be well read, right? Mm -hmm. When we're writing. Um, But maybe the thing that you're looking for, like Latino fantasy, I have four books to choose from right mm-hmm. right like high fantasy mm-hmm. uh so i can't be like i'm gonna read all of these other books you just have to take into account who's writing these books mm-hmm. right like i don't want to pick up something that's done poorly but how do i how do i make that decision right we can't just say like authors read like yeah authors read but authors are reading what where mm-hmm. are we getting our source information mm-hmm. from? We have to be discriminating. And now I'm just like thinking about it more. Like I was, I was reading books about the Inquisition, and then I realized all of these books are written by people from, like they're not written by Jewish people. So I went mm-hmm. and I, I pivoted my research to like uh, Inquisition accounts done by rabbis, right? Which is mm. like, the, and the outlook is completely different because there is such thing as bias. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So, and you know, it's 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 really incredible the things that you'll find out when you just keep searching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that um, making dynamic worlds that you want to live in it's like a stew, right? And it's something that you want to keep tasting over and over again and it has to have the right balance of a all those things. A sopa de pollo? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to add a ni- something Nigerian. Yeah, no, it's a beef, beef stew. Beef stew. There you go. You throw, oh my goodness, you throw that on white rice, you mix that together, or better yet, Do it you make, you, uh, uh-huh. make your stew. The pot. You throw throw that on the rice, eh? (laughs) and then you bake it, (laughs) and ah, it is magic. Oh my god! Go feed all of Africa. All of Africa. Why are we like this? Yeah, I mean, this is this is how God made me. Yes, this is us. This is is how God made me. And I love it. And thanks so much for coming to Deadline City today and talking about world. This was so wonderful. Thank you guys so much for listening and